I know Al's in what, Romans chapter 12, 13? Well, let's, we're going to go back. We're going to go back a little bit and do a little review. 8, chapter 8. Let me just say this about Romans. Martin Luther, you know, probably some of you know a lot more about Martin Luther than I did, but he was one of the reformers. But Martin Luther wrote this about uh, the book of Romans. He said, this letter is truly the most important piece in the New Testament, the book of Romans. He went on to say, it is purest gospel. It is well worth a Christian's while, not only to memorize it word for word, but also to occupy himself with it daily, as though it were the daily bread of his soul. It is impossible to read or to meditate on this letter too much or too well. The more one deals with it, the more precious it becomes and the better it tastes. Therefore, I want to carry out my service and with this preface provide an introduction to the letter insofar as God gives me the ability so that everyone can gain the fullest possible understanding of it. Up to now, it has been darkened by glosses and by many a useless comment, but it is in itself a bright light almost bright enough to illumine the entire Scripture. You know, that's what Martin Luther said about the book of Romans. And, you know, that guy, uh, he, he knew a lot more about the Bible and things of the Word than I did. He was, he was a, a deeper, deeper student of the Word than I was. And so we would do well to, to take, some, some, uh, take the words of Martin Luther to heart. And, you know... Anymore, whenever I'm going through the Word of God and reading it, these are God's words to us. I mean, he used men to bring them to us, but this is his word. This is what he wanted us to know. And, you know, if he wanted us to know a lot of other things, we probably would have had a lot of other things to read. But this is it, and... In the book of Romans, Paul is writing to the Roman church, but he's writing to you and I, too. He's writing to us. Um, and, you know, Paul didn't know that. He didn't know he was going to be writing to us, but he is. And, you know, when we get to heaven, we'll get to go see Paul and say, you know what, I read, I read Romans. I read what you wrote in Romans. I, wor- I read what you wrote in Philippians. I read what you wrote in Colossians. I read what you wrote in Ephesians. I read all those things. He goes, you, and he'll probably say, you did? You did? Well, yeah, Paul, you wrote them, and they're there, and we read them, and we studied them, and we practiced them. And so here in Romans chapter 8, I want to look at uh, verses 30, 31, 39. So let me get there. It says this. And again, I know that Al went through this with you, but Al's not here. (laughs) So so you get a little repeat. And and you know what? It's good to repeat the Word of God. It really is. Um, Paul talked about it over and over again, about remembering and reminding. 
And we need to be reminded about the Word of God. If, if the Word of God ever becomes common to us, if it ever becomes just common, we're in trouble. We really need to wake up and see that this is not common. You know, reading a comic book is common, you know, but reading the Scripture should never become common to us. It should always enlighten us. It should always invigorate us. It should always grab a hold of our heart. It should always grip us because this is God's Word. And we should never make it a common thing. So here in, in Romans chapter 8, verse 31, Paul says this, What then shall we say to these things, if God is for us, who could be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died, and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or the sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, or any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord." So I wrote down here, <clears throat> there, are, there are few finer or more complete pictures of the love of God and its power in the scriptures than in this eighth chapter of Romans. There are few finer or more complete pictures of the love of God and its power in the scriptures than this eighth chapter of Romans. Here the scriptures present to us our gaining victory over sin. Here the scriptures present to us our receiving the spirit of adoption earlier in the chapter. Here are being convinced that we are children of God, that we are born again believers. Here are being shielded and strengthened by the love of Christ. Here the scriptures presents to us our being secure and safe at every point in life's hazards. Here in the scriptures is our being fully persuaded of all these things. Persuaded. What does that word mean, persuaded? What does that mean? Convinced by argument. Convinced by argument. It means to rely on by inward certainty. There's an inward certainty. Paul says, I'm, I'm fully persuaded I have an inward certainty. It means to have confidence. It means to trust. It means to yield. I'm fully persuaded, he says. <laughs> we learned earlier in, in uh, uh, chapter 8, verse uh, 28, it says this, We know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Pastor read that this morning. He talked about that. All things work together for good to them that love God, 
to them who are called according to his purpose. All things are working in concert according to God's plans and purposes for us. You know, we need to think about that. All the things that are going on for you and me and for others, you know, as born-again believers. Unbelievers, you know, that's a whole different category. But Paul is talking to believers here. He's talking to born-again believers. Whenever you see the word brethren in the Scriptures, that has to do with believers, you know. And he's talking to brethren. All things are working in concert according to God's plans and purposes. It's all working together, you know. Um, All the trials, you know, all things, even those present trials, far from harming us, trials, they are working together for good to them that love God, being called according to his purpose. So we have to remember that. Far from harming us, the trials that God brings to our life are for our good, and he's working them out for our good. And I know that could be hard to swallow, and it's hard to understand sometimes, but you have to understand, you know, Paul, look at his life. He's writing these things, and what kind of experiences did that guy have? Turn to, turn to uh, 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 1 Corinthians chapter number 11, or 2 Corinthians 11. 2 Corinthians 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Second Corinthians 11. This is a good one to remember. Now, Paul is writing these things. All things, even those present trials, are far from harming us. They are working together for good to them that love God and are called according to his purpose. Well, look at what Paul wrote in Second Corinthians 11. Look at verse 23. He says this, he goes, Paul speaking, in labors more abundant. So the guy was, you know, always working hard. He always had to work hard. It wasn't nothing about laziness in there. He says, in stripes, what are stripes? It's a whipping. In stripes, above measure. In prisons, more frequently. In deaths, often. So everywhere the guy was going, man, somebody was out to get him, it seemed. He's talking, listen to what he says. From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. So 39 whippings. You know, my, you know, he's got, it says five times. Three times I was beaten with rods. Have you ever been beaten with a rod? Ever been beaten with a real rod? You know, over in Singapore, that's what they do when you, when you, make, when you blow it. They beat you with a rod. Remember that? Remember that American guy who, what did he, spit on the sidewalk or whatever? And, and Singapore is really tight on that stuff. And that kid thought he was going to get away with it, and they caned him. They caned him. His parents, everybody was freaking out, trying to get him off the hook. No way. Singaporeans said, no, this guy's going to get it. He got caned. Here Paul says, three times I was beaten with rods. Once he was stoned. You ever been stoned before? And, and, you know, they weren't throwing little rocks at him. (laughs) I remember when I was younger, we didn't get stoned, but we had big rocks thrown at us. I can't remember how old I was. I was probably about 12 years old. And here we are, we're floating. We're floating. We had a place called the Cement Tub. 
Let me just explain. You guys got to, we grew up in a real neat environment. It was this uh, uh, pond. It was a pond, and the reason why we called it the cement tub, because up on the hill was a, uh, a cement company, and they had all the, how they used to mix cement in those little, those little metal, um, I don't know what you call them, you know, the big things that they mixed cement in. Well, we used to borrow those. <laughs> we used to go up there and borrow them and take them down and float them in the water. So we're out there floating on the water, and I lived on the corner of three different towns, West Hartford, Hartford, and Newington. And if you were out playing in the, in the woods there or over at the cement tub, and your group was larger than the group coming at you, you were okay. But if your group was smaller, you either had to run or you suffered the consequences. Well, we're out on this cement tub, and some older 16-year-olds, we're 12, right? They're up on the ridge now, and they start bombarding us with rocks. With rocks. And, you know, we're, we're crying. I mean, it was scary. You get hit with a rock, it's going to cut you. So we had to jump into the water and use the cement tub as our shield while they are throwing rocks. And every time a rock hit that cement tub, you know it scared the life out of you because it went boom, boom, boom. And they're just laughing and have a good time. And they forced us to come to shore. And they wanted to, you know, they wanted to humiliate us, which they did. And here's Paul saying, I was stoned. And they weren't little stones. They, they were stones big enough to kill them. And so here he is. He's talking about that. He says, three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I've been in the deep. <laughs> you guys ever been out in the water? You ever get scared out in the water? I got to tell you another story. <laughs> I was stationed in Alaska. After I finished, I left Alaska, came here, and I went back two years later to visit my friend. And we went to a place called Homer, Alaska. You could look on your phones. You could see Homer, Alaska. The picture of Homer, Alaska is you're up on a ridge, you're looking down at Homer, and they have this pier. They call it the spit. And the spit goes out. The spit goes out, and the bay's on this side, and the ocean's on this side. And when you look at Homer, you're going to see way over here in the bay this big, giant rock before you get to the other side. Well, my buddy and I are down there, and, and the, the, the bay is like glass. We're going out on a 16-foot John boat with crab pods with uh, uh, cinder blocks to hold the crab pods on the, on, the, on the bottom of the water. And we're going across this bay. We're going to try to, we're dropping some pods, and we're going to go see about salmon. We get to the other side, and there's a salmon boat whipping through there, pulling up thousands of salmon in a net right in front of us. And we go, man. You know, and then they take off. We don't know why they're taking off. So we thought, well, there's a river up there. Let's go up that river, Andy. Let's go up there and see if we can find a salmon. So we spent an hour going up that river. When we come back down the river, the river was really small, maybe a little wider than this. When we come down back down the river, the river's as wide as this. The tide's coming in. And now we got to go across this bay. And the waves are four to five feet tall. And there's no boats. <laughs> There's no boats out there. So Andy and I start going. 
And we're crashing on top of these waves, crashing on top of these waves, and we're not going to make it. We, we're, that rock that you, you're going to see in Homer, that's the point of no return. We got to the rock, and we, uh, we turned around. We turned around, and we start going back. We're going to, you know, because we can't make it. And so when we hit the shoreline, we didn't go all the way into the bay, uh, the, the, you know, the little cove there. We, and this is something that you have to learn. The shoreline we hit was like this. So when you go up on the boat on the shoreline like that, what happens? The waves come in the back. So I have hip waders on. I jump out. I'm trying to push the boat up on top of the, you know, further along on the, on the uh, sandbar there. And, and we're just taking in water. So I have to push Andy back out. And I have to climb up this cliff and go over this cliff to where the cove is. And I'm thinking the whole time, well, now I'm going to get eaten by a bear <laughs> because there's nobody here. So I'm walking and I got hip waders on. So I think, well, okay, Lord, I'm talking to the Lord. I go, I guess if a bear comes, I'll just jump off the cliff into the water and, and take my chances with the water. So we get all the way over to the other side, the safety of the cove. And uh, I, I, we're, we're exhausted. We're exhausted. And I could see Andy. He's looking. He's looking, thinking. I know what he's thinking. We can make it. We can make it. I'm thinking, let's just stay here till the tide comes back. Let's just, let's just stay here till it gets glass again. He goes, we can make it. So we jump in the boat, and we're going. And we're crashing. We're crashing up and down. And Andy, is, he's timing these waves. He's timing the waves where the wave comes, so he guns it to get up on top of the wave, and then he eases off in the throttle, so we slam down. And we still got these crab pods and these rocks in there, right? And there's no boats out there, and the water's freezing. So I'm just thinking, Lord, we're going to die. We're gonna, no one's going to find us. You know, there's nobody here. So we're getting to that rock. We're get, I'm seeing the rock. We're getting to the rock. And, and I, I encourage you to go and look at the pictures of Homer. You're going to see my big giant rock. We get to the rock and we get past it and we finally make it to the other side. And I, I tell Andy, I go, I'm not having any more fun, Andy. Let's go back to Anchorage. But here, Paul says, you know, he was shipwrecked. He was at sea. It says three times, a night and a day he spent in the deep. You know, I grew up by the ocean. And when I used to go swimming in the ocean, if a piece of seaweed hit you when you were in the water, you thought you were getting struck by a shark, and you're freaking out. And so here, he's a night and a day in there. And then he goes on to say, in journeys often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils of the wilderness. Where could this guy go? In perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness, often in hunger and thirst, in fastings, often in cold and nakedness. Besides all these things, isn't that enough? What comes to me daily, my deep concern for all the churches. And then... You know, so this is Paul. This is Paul talking to us. And in Romans here, he's saying, you know, he's talking about, what shall I say if God is for us? Who could be against us? Um, All things work together for good. So he was persuaded. He was convinced. He was convinced by the experiences that God had taken him through. And, you know, God wants you and I to be convinced and to be persuaded that he's able to do what he's saying in the scriptures. All things do work together for good for those who are called, you know. God is with us who could be against us. 
We, we can learn from Paul. Paul is writing these things, and he's writing from experience. I wrote down here, like I said, we learned early in verse 28 that all things work together for good. Um, even, those things, even those trials that, that we think are going to harm us, they're far from harming us. They're working together for our good. <clears throat> you know, I have another story here, too. I got to share stories. My best friend Lenny, his wife, Cammie, had COVID real bad. And she, she just, you know, she's older. She's in, she's in her 70s. And she said, you know what? If the Lord's going to take me, he's going to take me. And during this time, my buddy Lenny, you know, for the longest time, had been, he'd been a wanderer. He'd been a prodigal son, you know. And his wife had been praying for him. And I remember the last time I was there, before this time now, but way back then, his wife looked at me and said, I don't think Lenny's a Christian. And I know that Lenny is, but that's the way he was acting. Well, during this COVID time, she was very, very sick, but she survived. But, But through that time, Lenny and her became close. And Lenny is now on fire for the Lord. You know, through that terrible experience of COVID, where she was almost, you know, it took a COVID event to bring Lenny back to the Lord. So, all things work together for good. Even these trials, that great trial brought Lenny back to the Lord. And now the guy, he says, you know what? I love my wife more than I ever did before, and I'm never going back. I'm never going back. All those excuses that he had before, he said, was, you know, that was all just a facade, you know. Even COVID. You know, look at Joseph's imprisonment. You know, turn to Genesis chapter 50 for a minute. You know, talking about bad things. You know, we, we can't fully understand all that Joseph went through. You know, being sold by his own family, his brothers. I mean, how does that feel? He didn't ever think he was going to see him again. And then it even got worse. Once he goes over there, he's doing a good work. He gets thrown in jail. It even got worse. The guy forgot to talk to the Pharaoh about it. It just, it's just, it, you know, how does, how did, how did he, how did it, how did it happen? And look at chapter fifty, chapter fifty, verse fifteen and following. It says, when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, perhaps Joseph will hate us, and may actually repay us for all the evil we did to him. You know, they understood. That's probably how they would have thought. So they sent messengers to Joseph saying, Before your father died, he commanded, saying, Thus you shall say to Joseph, I beg you, please forgive the trespass your brothers <clears throat> of, of your brothers and their sin, for they did evil to you. Now please forgive the trespass of your servants of the God of your father. And Joseph wept when, when they spoke. He was broken. He said, you know, it was like he was thinking, you guys really think that I'm out to get you? You really think that little of me? You really think that all this I'm going to hold against you and I'm going to put you down? You, you know, he wept. So twice the guy's broken. He's broken when he's sold into slavery, and he's broken because they still didn't, they still didn't get it. They still missed, missed the mark here. And then is it, verse 18, his brothers also went and fell down before his face, and they said, Behold, we are your servants. And Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid. 
Am I in the place of God? But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. In order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive, now therefore don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. And he comforted them and he spoke kindly to them. You know, that says a lot about that guy. He had nothing against them. He wasn't going to hold anything against them. He said, you guys thought it was for evil, but I, I see now that, that God had it for good. Turn to Philippians for just a minute. Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. <clears throat> Philippians chapter 1, verse 12 and following. Philippians, Paul's in prison. I mean, they, they railroaded him. They, they, they probably figured, we finally got this guy. He's not going to run around anymore. He's in the Roman prison. We got him. We got him. Let's shut this guy up. Let's stop this nonsense. We got him. Look what Paul says, verse 12. He says, but I want you to know, brethren, and remember, brethren means believers. He's talking to the Philippian believers, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. Who? The guy's in prison. Furtherance of the gospel. Look what he says. So that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. And most of the brethren in the Lord have having become confident in my change, chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ even from envy and strife, some also from goodwill. The former preach Christ from selfish ambition, not sincerely supposing to add to my affliction and chains, but the latter out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. What then? Only that every way, whether in pretense or truth, Christ is preached and in this I rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice. The guy's in prison, and he's just, I'm rejoiced. Lord, I know you're doing something greater than this prison. You know, is just a place. It, you know, you're doing greater. The guards now know about you, and the brethren are more bold to even speak and witness now. This is you know, so I, I can go through this. I, I can deal with this. I've been in the water. I've been, in, I've been stoned. I've been whipped. I can deal with this. I can deal with this. I know all things work together for good. <clears throat> what about John? John, turn to uh, Revelation chapter number one. Revelation chapter number one. Here, John, he's exiled to Patmos. What's Patmos all about? Patmos is a place where they send people to die. Work to the bone. You know, you're going to, you might as well just make big rocks into little rocks because you're, you're, you're not getting out of this one. This is like a penal colony. This is what's happening. This is where John ends up. And he's an old guy too. He's an old guy. But look what happens in verse number nine of chapter one. I, John, both your brother and companion, in the tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ was on the isle that is called Patmos. Why? For the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. Boy, that's kind of a funny place for the Lord to put somebody. 
to share the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. You know, we would, we would want to put that person, you know, in an amphitheater. We would want to put that person on TV. We would want to, per, you know, have them broadcast all over. But here God puts John in Patmos, and he's going to give him the revelation of things to come. You know, that's where it's going to happen. So even whatever situation you may find yourself in, as a born-again believer, this we can claim. We can claim Romans 8.28. We know that all things work together for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to his purpose. As an unbeliever, that one would have no such claim. No such claim to that. That's only given to believers. <clears throat> We're called according to his purpose. Here is a further ground for our hopeful assurance. Our hopeful assurance, a further ground of that is we are called according to his purpose. You know, it was God's desire to call you and to call me. It was his desire. It wasn't mine. It wasn't yours. It was his desire to call you. He's the one that did it. Look at Jeremiah chapter number 1. Jeremiah chapter number 1. Remember that. It was God's desire to call you, to give you a purpose. Not mine, not yours, his. And knowing that it's his desire, it shows you how much he loves us. Look at, look at Jeremiah chapter number 1, verse 4. Look what it says here. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. This is the Lord talking to Jeremiah. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. And then I said, Ah, Lord God. So now Jeremiah answers, Behold, I cannot speak. I'm just a youth, he says. <laughs> kind of like Moses. I can't talk, you know. Sure, Moses could talk. The guy was trained in Pharaoh's best schools. He's just, he's just passing the buck. Anyway, but the Lord said to me, Do not say that I am a youth, for you shall go to all to whom I send you, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of their faces, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. And so here, God's desire was for Jeremiah. God's desire is for you and I. Look at Psalm number 8 for a minute. Psalm number 8. Psalm number 8. This is a great psalm to go back to and look at. David said this, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. How excellent is your name. There's no other name more excellent. He goes on to say, who have set your glory above the heavens. Who could do that? Which one of us can have our glory go above the heavens? Nobody. Out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, you have ordained strength because of your enemies. So here he's talking about our weakness. You know, in your weakness and my weakness, he's ordained strength. He's the one that goes before us. Then it goes on to say, 
that you may silence the enemy and the avenger. And then look at verse 3. When I consider the heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you visit him? You know what those words mean, mindful and visit? You want to know what they mean? What is man that you are mindful? It means to mark as to be recognized, to remember, to think on. So David says, what is man that, that, uh, uh, that you mark us, that you recognize us, that you think on us? Who, and then he goes, and that you visit him. You know what that word visit means? It means to care for. So what, what is man that you are mindful of and that you mark us, that you recognize us, that you remember us, that you think on us, and the Son of Man that you visit him, that you care for us? You care for us. You really do care for us. Paul talks about it in Romans. What then shall we say about these things? If God is for us, who could be against us? The assurance, God's desire... It was his desire to call you and to call me. It wasn't my desire, your desire. It was his, because he's mindful. It was his desire to justify us, not mine. It was his. He did that work. You know, we just have hands painted black trying to wipe a spot off a white board, and all that happens is we just make it blacker. Well, God's the one that comes and takes it all away, justifies us. He's the one that's conforming us to the image of his son. You're not doing it. I'm not doing it for you. He's doing it. And it may be that he's going to be using these situations, all things, these all things that he's working in concert to bring us to the image of his son. You know, sometimes, you know, if you have a bad tooth, and it's rotten, and you go to the dentist, it's going to probably hurt coming out. But you got to get that rotten tooth out. You know, it's got to come out. You might fight, say, oh, no, I don't want the dentist. Oh, I don't know, no. But that thing has got to come out. And you know when it comes out, there's a healing. It gets better. That's another story for another time. I have to tell you that one. This was all God's desire. This was all his desire. Turn to Luke chapter 22 for just a minute. Luke 22. I got to watch my time because you know what? After this, I got to go home and I got to preach on FM radio overseas. So I got to be careful with my time. Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter number 22. Let me see. Let me get there here. Here we go. Verses 14 and following, it says, When the hour had come, he sat down and the twelve apostles with him. This is, this is what Jesus did. And then he said to them, With fervent desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. With fervent desire. Now, those disciples... They were there because it was Passover. That's a joyous time. And oh, by the way, what were they doing? They were looking at each other and saying, 
who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom? Is it you? I think I am, you know, because I walked on water. I'm Peter. I walked on water. So obviously you guys didn't. So I'm going to be the top tomato, you know. That's what they were doing. And what Jesus says, you know what? I have fervent desire to have this meal with you. And so here, the desire, it was God's desire for you and I. It's God's desire, fervent desire. Then over back in Romans chapter 31, so what shall we say about these things then? If God is for us, who could be against us? What power can possibly be stronger than God? What power? I'm running out of time, so I'm not going to get through all the notes, but in 1 Kings 18, this is Elijah. You know, the prophets of Baal, it's the standoff. Elijah says, you know what? If, if God is God, serve him. If Baal is Baal, if Baal's God, we'll serve him. We'll see, who's, we'll see who, who, who it is. And they have a showdown. You know, the prophets of Baal go crazy. They, they scream all day. They, they end up cutting themselves and bleeding. I mean, they're, they're crazy. They're going crazy, trying to call down fire from heaven from Baal. And Elijah just knows. I mean, he kind of pokes fun at him a little bit, saying, maybe he doesn't hear you. Maybe he's on vacation or something, you know. And then after they had their moment, Elijah prays. But before that, he soaks the offering. He rebuilds the, the, the uh, uh, altar. He soaks it. He soaks the offering. He, he builds a moat around it so there's water all around. I mean, it's ridiculous to think that a fire is going to lap it all up. But yet he prays, and it does happen, and the Lord brings down fire and laps it up. You know? So who are you going to follow, Baal or God? What power can possibly be stronger than that? What power? Do you know of a power that can do that? I don't. In view of this fact I put down here, that God is for us, who or what can be against us so as to harm us? Who? If God is for us, who could harm us? Verse 32 says, He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? The same God who didn't spare his own son now also freely gives us all things. The same God, he didn't spare his own son. He's now giving us, freely giving us all things. David said, who am I, Lord, that you are mindful of me? Who, who, you know? He didn't do it so that we could just say to him, no, thank you for your service, you know? Thank you. He didn't do it because of that. He didn't do it so that you could just sit back and enjoy the ride. He didn't do it for that. If God spared not his own son, what does that mean for you and me? What does that mean? I put down here, it's bigger than all this. It's bigger than you and it's bigger than I. I can't completely fathom it all. But he did it. He did it for you. He did it for me. He did it for a glorious purpose, making you and me more, much, much more of us, something we could never have done or been able to do, even imagine to do on our own. But he did it. He did it for you. 
He did it for me. He did it for all who will put their faith and trust in Christ. That's what he did. God has given us his only begotten son. He spared not. He didn't withhold anything. Jesus didn't withhold anything. He went all the way to the cross. He never turned to the left or the right. He never said, oh, you know what? I'm, I'm tired, you guys. You guys are so lame. You know, I, I've been trying for three years. I've been drilling you for three years. You saw me feed 5,000. You saw me feed 4,000. You saw me raise Lazarus. You saw me do this. And you guys just don't get it. I'm done with you. He didn't do that. He went all the way, all the way. And that tells us something about our God. God's free gift of salvation in Christ Jesus was intended for all. Why? Because all have sinned. All have sinned. All would need a Savior. And he freely gives us all things. No one else can do that. No one else has those resources. No one else. Only Jesus. Only Jesus. Well, I'm going to end on that tonight. Romans chapter 8. Luther talked about Romans being, you know, the book that he said you can't get enough of. It's like daily bread. Romans chapter 8 tells us a lot of things about who our Lord is and what he's done for us. We know that all things work together for good for those who love God and those who are called according to his purpose because he's working those things out. We could see how he did it with Moses. We could see how he did it with Joseph. We could see how he did it with David. We could see how he did it over and again. We see how he did it with Paul. And he's working those things out for us too because he has a desire he desires. He desired you and me. We're here tonight. You know why? Because of his desire. He wanted this. He, 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 with fervent desire, he said, I want to have this meal with you. When we get together like this, you know what he's saying? With fervent desire, I love to see you guys get together. You know, share about what's going on. All those things. Let's remember these things. Let's pray. Father, there's a lot for us to kind of digest in this, just this one chapter. But if we just take a hard look at Paul's life and we see the things that he went through, we know that he had a fervent desire. He went all the way. He said, you know, he counted that the things that he knew before were like dung. He goes, you know, I press towards the mark of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus is what he said. And that's what he was doing. He never turned to the left or to the right. You know, he pressed towards the mark. And Lord, I pray that with us too, you'd put in our heart a heart like that to keep pressing towards the mark, to not look to the left or to the right, but to look at the finish line and see you, Jesus, at the finish line, clapping your hands with desire, waiting to welcome us in. And I pray that that would happen to us. And then I know, Lord, that people who may be listening don't even know you. They have no idea what I'm talking about. And you know what? I pray that they would have a one-on-one -on -one with you and they would meet you face-to-face. -face. When the Samaritan woman met you face-to-face, -face, she couldn't get away from it. She, she realized who she was and who you were. When Nicodemus met you face-to-face, -face, he couldn't get away from it. He couldn't talk his way out of it. He couldn't say, what about this guy? What about that guy? What about this guy? He couldn't do that. And Lord, you changed his life too. And for us, Lord, that have had that face-to-face, -face, that one-on-one -on -one with you, you've changed our lives too. 
and we want to press towards the mark of the high calling. You've called us according to your purpose. You desire us. We thank you for that, Lord. Thank you for all these things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.